What a load of rubbish is one way to describe the future Earth of Wally. We celebrate the dystopian Pixar classic that cleaned up at the box office. The British are coming. Or are they? We wonder why UK TV channels fell out of love with sci-fi and fantasy. What do you mean you've never read Harry Potter and the brand manager? As the wizarding world appoints a new overlord, we ponder where it could go next. I'm Dave Bradley. I'm Tanavi Patel. I'm Richard Edwards. And there's all this, plus Twice Upon a Time, The Inbetweeners with Fairies, and The The Matrix in Robbie the Robot's Waiting, the podcast that cleans up the mess while you're away. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello there. Now, one day I'm going to ask you what you've been watching and you're going to say you haven't seen a thing. Please tell me this is not that day. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is not that day. I've been watching loads. Uh, I don't know about you both, but I've been not only keeping up to date with the current shows, WandaVision and The Expanse, I've been kind of uh, watching the new shows. There's things like Resident Alien and I've been just plundering Disney Plus for some old shows as well. I've been trying to catch up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter episodes that I've missed. Um, What about you guys? Um, yeah, while you've been looking at all the agents, um, I have caught the first episode of Resident Alien, which premiered on Sky earlier, which I was so excited for when I saw the um, the, the adverts. Um, and Alan Tudyk, obviously, who's been off screen for a little bit. Um, and then I've also done my usual Netflix browse and seen what's trending mm-hmm. and Fate the Wink Saga um, popped up repeatedly um which i did decide to watch the first four episodes a journalist i'm going to shout out isabel Cadine, a long time ago told me ever should give every show four episodes before i make a judgment so that was what i did this weekend and have you made a judgment <laughs> I, have. I have i mean i think um it's definitely a ya show so young adult show and i'm no longer a young adult um unfortunately but i would say you know it's it, it is a Netflix property, so it is what you'd expect from them. It's got high production value. It's, you know, beautifully set. And it's, I guess it's um, Hogwarts meets, I guess, Riverdale, maybe. Mm-hmm. Slightly more angsty, slightly older crowd at Hogwarts, although they're British primarily. They're um, fairies, right? And they're fairies, yeah. So it's so we meet Bloom. Oh, some of the names, honestly, terrible <laughs> in this show. But Bloom is the main girl who's this, <laughs> and who is actually, and this is not me being being rude. This is actually how they refer to her in the first episode. It's an angry ginger right. who is, um, and we meet her on her first day at this Hogwarts esque school for fairies. And there, there's she's sixteen, so I guess it's like A levels for fairies. Um, and she bumps in A levels. <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, nice. Well done. <laughs> so that's all from uh, Robbie the Robot's Waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and fairly um, obviously, there's, you know, she meets her new sort of flatmates and then like the the sort of interesting blonde guy who makes a connection with her. And then we sort of see very actually quite Harry Potter-esque, like that she is the, the sort of odd one out. And because we right, we learn, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that she's a changeling. So actually she's grown up in the the uh, first world, they call it. So the, the real world, non, non-magical world. <laughs> exactly. The muggle world. And, um, and has been brought over by the headmistress of the school to l- learn about magic and how to control it. Um, and then learns pretty much straight away that her parents who, who she thought were her parents are not her parents. And it sets up the whole arc of who am I, which is a big arc 
in the show plus um a bit more of the mythology so essentially that quite quickly the, the there's attacks from these monster type fairies that are called the burned ones and so we see them as you would expect you know these young teenagers without really any particular skills just taking on these monsters as they do without without any um, help from the adults first of all as so it's well made it's quite in- intriguing like there's a few fun characters from the offset there's a guy called Riven and you can just rely on him for the non-PC jokes and as the outcast um and there's a few there's no real familiar faces in it but I did notice like certainly with the teachers there's like this Professor Spout character who's one of the dads from the Inbetweeners and (laughs) (laughs) so I was like really expecting him to be funny but so far unfortunately not Uh, so you've got people like that cropping up. I mean do any of the kids behave like the Inbetweeners? No and they really need to I think it'd be so much funnier but I think they're they're in that stage of they're trying to be cool more serious and so you don't really see any of them pulling any pranks particularly. I watched four episodes I don't think I'll watch any more but I would say (laughs) that it's probably one as I said one for the younger adults and I know that it's got a fan following right because it's based on um, an animated series so I imagine that those fans will definitely be looking out for it and it'll be interesting to see what what they make of it very different end of the spectrum I guess is Resident Alien which is Alan, yeah. <laughs> Just a tad different yeah. uh, Alan Tudyk's new show um, I think it's been floating around for a long time I think it was meant to come out like quite early in 2020 and, and hasn't um, and he, he and he plays the resident alien he's a doctor uh, in a small town in Colorado um, what did you think of it I really liked it actually I really liked it um, I think it's uh, it's not uh, it's not perfect. Very few things are. It, it's and it's a template. Again, I've spoken about this before on the show. It's the same kind of template as something like Lucifer. You know, that sort of slight procedural where she is an investigator with a troubled past, and he is a insert wacky thing, and together they they solve mysteries. And in this case, he happens to be an alien who wants to destroy the Earth, which I think is quite funny. I think the fact that he's quite sinister yeah. and is and is a murderer yeah. and he's properly a, 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 a you know. A, a um, malign alien is interesting. Um, I, I imagine you can already see some of the direction it's going in that he'll, you know, discover his humanity and he's already finding excuses to save people from trouble. Um, and there's the ongoing fish out of water thing as, as somebody uh, doesn't understand the culture and manners uh, manages to offend people around them with their bluntness. And, and there's a lot of humor derived from that, but it never really gets too much because Alan Tudyk is such a fantastic actor. I'd watch him do anything, and he managed to make he manages to make really quite silly situations very, very uh, endearing and watchable. A lot of his zingers actually felt loads like um, Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Exactly. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? There's, there's that kind of thing about it. He's written that in that yeah. kind of very awkward, nerdy way. Yeah, and and that's that's why I think it, and and although it's a dark comedy, it that's where the comedy works is his Sheldon esque sort of rebuttals to to what they say, and you can't really argue with him either. In yeah. the same way, he just kind of tells you how it is. <laughs> Absolutely, but I think that the the, what, the what I quite like about the way they flip this round is that he isn't an endearing ET type character. He's he's genuinely dangerous, which which I think is yeah. quite quite interesting. But at the same time, having that kind of almost classic big bug-eyed alien look from you know roswell right um but he, he just happens to dress in a human suit um <laughs> and and i think alan tudyk plays it so well because he's not overacting it no you know he's, he's quite subtle with it you know and, and he's only just a little bit off 
Um, and I, I think that, that's what makes it because he's he's obviously just baffled by humans, and but he's kind of just stringing them along. He's much cleverer than they are. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll go along with this. And he doesn't want to be anywhere near humans. That's the thing. It starts off, and he's he's living remotely because he has a job to do. And then someone's like, oh, well, you're the local doctor just because of who he's, who he's inhabiting. And it's like, suddenly he's pulled into this town and having to mix with people. I mean, the show I thought of was Northern Exposure. Same. There's lots of Northern yeah, Exposure. Absolutely. Also, uh, you just mentioned it right there about the doctor setup. It's very much Doc Hollywood, isn't it? That, that same thing, which is also the plot of Cars, by the way. But yeah. that, that's exactly that same. So you're saying Alan Tudyk is going to turn into a car? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Dave, you mentioned Lower Decks, because this has only just mm. come to the UK, having been on American TV for quite a while. Um, it's Star Trek, as we've never seen it before. I mean, it's Star Trek that goes for gags. Do you think it's funny enough? Um, that's a really good point, because actually, I think in many respects, it's very Star Trek. Um, it's on Amazon Prime in the UK, and I've binged it all. I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it because it's next generation era Star Trek, uh, and it's very reverential to that universe. Um is it, the humour arises from 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 the character, and the characters are really endearing. You get very quickly attached to them. I think so. Yeah, I did like the show. I don't think it's as funny as I, it thinks it is, and it's got a bit of a pedigree. You know, um, the uh, the creators have worked on shows like Rick and Morty and South Park, even. And um, there's a little bit of a sense, I think, that they're restraining themselves um, with this, but it's just very very Star Trek. They make a lot of references to things that we as fans refer to in star trek but although they take the situations for comedy they always take star trek seriously um there's a there's a thread that runs through it about how much they love starfleet even the irreverent ones love starfleet and and it's very true to the um to the spirit of it um in fact it's almost you sort of expect it i think in the first episode when you see it that it's going to be perhaps um kicking back against the, the the tropes of Star Trek, but it isn't. In fact, it leans into them even harder. The fact that the uh, the characters love the warp core so much that that's a big day out for them is going and um, yeah. balancing the plasma cores or something is, is where a lot of the humour comes from. Um, loads, of inter- loads of references across Star Trek to the tropes of Star Trek and characters as well, and quite deep cuts as well, just referring to things that... Just a bit. You know, that, that are really, really kind of from the, the animated series or from Voyager. I, I loved it for that more than I loved it for its humour. I mean, it's basically a great big what if. I mean, as you say, it's basically a lot of fans in the pub saying, well, can you imagine if they just took this a little bit further or oh, what happened to that character who did that? I kind of, I really agree with you on this because I think it's full of really good ideas and it is so Star Trek. I mean, even down to the fact that the characters on the, the Cerritos, the ship, are all capable. Some of them are, do stupid things, but they are all pretty good at their jobs, except for maybe some of the, the high ups. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, I really love the fact that it's been made because you know Star Trek is a big property. Um, they're making, they've got Picard, they've got Strange New Worlds coming, and obviously Discovery, the third season's just finished. This is a major franchise for CBS and Paramount, and they are mocking it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're having fun with it. Um, now, Star, Star Wars has looked at doing similar, um, you know, it was going to do Star Wars Detours, which was canned uh, when Disney bought it. That, you know, that was um, Seth Green's show, uh, like, like the guy who made Robot Chicken, and it was going to be a lot of jokes about Star Wars. This is sort of showing that franchises like this can be big enough to sustain a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the core of it is that it loves the franchise, and then it makes jokes around it like um, like the rest of us would. I should say there's actually some some really good stuff in there, even if you just want to watch it as a, as a sci fi show. 
I've also been watching Dead Pixels on E4. Um, it's on all four as well. You can watch the whole series. And it's not really sci-fi or fantasy, but it leans into it a lot. So I don't know if you saw series one, but it's about gamers playing an MMO RPG uh, called Kingdom Scrolls and they talk to each other, uh, and that's about it. So there's quite a lot of scenes actually in the game of people doing silly things or getting annoyed by newbies in the game. Right. But it, it's but it's most it's about people's lives outside the game and how the game kind of takes over and gets in the way of real life. It's not laughing at them because they're gamers. I mean, yes, the gaming gets in the way of their lives, and it sort of does make them socially inept, but it's not mocking the fact that they play the games. It's written by John Brown, who you may not have heard of, but he's got quite a comedy pedigree. So he was basically the other guy who wrote a few episodes of Misfits, other than Howard Overman, the creator, who wrote pretty much all of it. Also, he's since worked on Fresh Meat. He's worked on Succession. So he's written a lot of really good stuff. And a lot of that similar sort of style of... So it's that that kind of slightly rude sort of people being a bit nasty to one another, but in a fun way, that that kind of humour. And and it's it's definitely worth watching. And the game stuff is great. Lots of in-game things. And uh, yeah, I think it's really worth watching. Oh, I'll definitely check that out. That's what sounds like right up my treat. Does it um, have much in common with The Guild, which was Felicia Day's comedy about being in a... like a Warcraft guild? I guess there's similarities, but I guess the, the, the feel of it is very different. Um, I mean, this is this is a really British show. It's people, you know, it's young people in a flat in that classic British sitcom scenario. You know, I guess it's ga- It's actually literally game on. <laughs> uh, Sky has just released a trailer for its new sci-fi show, which got us thinking. It feels pretty rare these days that there's a new British sci-fi or fantasy show. There's always Doctor Who. There's currently a discovery of witches and his dark materials. And there's you know, the occasional red dwarf to look out for. But otherwise, I think like recent years have been pretty slim pickings. So first of all, what did you think of the Intergalactic trailer? Great, I thought. Yeah, very exciting. Um, uh, I like the look of it. I, I, I've been had my eye on this one since last year when it was first announced, um, a Sky show. I think, it, um, yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I think it's got potential. Um, it's, it's obviously... Um, it feels British, actually, from the get-go, in a way. The way that they're sort of speaking to, to each other, um, it seems to be predominantly women and predominantly criminals. Um, there's plenty of action. There's obviously comedy elements to it. And it looks great. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of shows like Killjoys and um, I don't know if you've seen things like sort of uh, vagrant queen and things like that so i wonder if it's got that element and i love prison break which (laughs) (laughs) i'm happy if they want to do a prison break in space even with or without wentworth miller um but yeah why not you know and you're right like it's been a while since they've done anything um that we could say is i mean sky i suppose a discovery of witches is the only thing on that they have currently but having said that i mean it took them two years or plus to make that to make the second series so um it's good to know that they're they're bringing this out and i think also it's nice that they have something that's just got a bit of a different tone to it compared to sort of rest of the stuff that you you're seeing currently on on sky 
So hopefully that will make it a bit more attractive potentially to mainstream viewers as well. I think that whole prison break thing is a good setup for a, for a science fiction show. I mean, Blake Seven, of course, was a classic British show, and that really starts with them busting out of prison. You know, I, the um, uh, I know it's not a British show; it's an international show. But but Farscape was a favourite of mine, and that that's really right. they, they were all prisoners and so on. So it's a, it's a good setup. I mean, I think we you know we've had in recent months things like the War of the Worlds that adaptation, um, but it felt more like that was. That was kind of looking for the costume drama audience more than the science fiction audience. I, I don't think we've seen that kind of space set show for a while. Mm. Um, you know, we, we used to have every Saturday there was something like a Merlin or uh, I want to say a, Primeval Atlantis. Primeval, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah Atlantis. Yeah. That's what I was thinking that's of. Yeah, and those kind of shows. You know, and and um, there's some of that stuff. Um, on um on netflix with things like cursed but you know but but that but you know i think we've, we've sort of missed that that thing there's being human or uh uh you know or um do you remember hyperdrive was that the name of the show the yeah yeah, yeah. Show? yeah that was yeah. a kind of a some sort of leaning even further into what red dwarf was trying to do um feels like a while since we've had something like that well, well i think between 2005 and 2010 people were making sci-fi as a sort of go-to thing you know the, the fact that saturday evening mm. tv yeah you know Doctor Who was as big a part of the schedule as Strictly Come Dancing um, and how that shifted in the years since. There was this little golden period where BBC and ITV were say, saying, this is where we want to put our money. People want to watch homegrown sci-fi. It's yeah. not just about imports. Uh, and then you, you, you also got Torchwood. As you said, you got Merlin. Um, and then you sort of had slightly smaller things on BBC Three and E4, like Being Human and Misfits. So sci-fi as a genre was, you know, it, it was in. Mm. And then they sort of came to a point where, I guess in the same way that Star Trek was flying the flag for space opera in the States, Doctor Who became the thing and there was just the occasional other thing. And then it, it, it feels like with sci-fi often, if you have one thing that hasn't done particularly well, that's enough for a network to say, we don't want to, want to do any more. I mean, can you remember Outcasts? Um, that yeah. was a show on BBC. Yeah. It was like really big budget thing. They, yeah. This was on where they were all on a barren planet um, and they had some prisoners with them. It had Jamie Bamber in it. It had really good cast. It was from Kudos, who made Life on Mars um, uh. and, and Hustle, and like, like made quality TV. Yeah. And it never really caught fire. And it's almost like, okay, well, we've done our big primetime sci-fi show. Let's not do any more. <laughs> they got scared. Well, I mean, a sky, uh, you know, I've, I've I don't know if you guys saw You, Me and the Apocalypse, but I loved mm. that. I thought that was fantastic. And, you know, it, it was essentially about, you know, people, one, trying to figure out if there was an apocalypse coming and then two, sort of deciding what the hell to do about it. Um, and that was really good. But you're right about how things have become, maybe become a little bit cautious because back when Doctor Who was at its height, we did have spin-off shows like the Sarah Jane Adventures, um, Torchwood, even K9 had a little bit of a um, you know an afterlife um, uh, in, in a slightly non-universe kind of way. It, it, you know, it's licensed, but but then it kind of things went went a little a little quiet. I'm sure I saw an interview with Russell T Davis um, recently speaking about the success of It's a Sin, which of course has some Doctor Who throwbacks, in which he said that you know he he thinks that the the time is right for you know i think he jokingly said in one interview that we could see a nissa spin-off show um that would be great with sarah something i think it'd be funny but his point was can you imagine 10 years ago talking about a pike show for star trek and all the things we've got now and bringing back picard and the the you know the the cartoon we just spoke about and in fact you know there was a point when the bbc was quite bold about this stuff and was was doing these kind of 
sort of exploring the universes and they've they've kind of drawn in their antlers a little bit whereas you know you, franchises like star wars and star trek are seeing the value in expanding their universe and so i think that um that that um russell t davis was kind of alluding to that and there's, there's some truth in that you know I, I think there's there's a lot you know if, if and i mentioned this on a previous episode i think that you kind of want bbc to have a little bit more um uh chutzpah and have a go at you know spinning off their stuff from the that and and and, and trying out some some extended universe things now, obviously, the BBC has done his dark materials, but they partnered with HBO on it, so there is kind of American money in there. But do you think that a part of this is just the BBC, ITV, whatever, saying we can't really compete with like Netflix yeah. because you know Netflix have all this money, and actually they're investing in quite a lot of British talent, you know, actors, writers, and everything. So is it is it almost a well, we can't do this. We can do costume dramas or, or whatever, or cop shows, but let's not bother doing the sci-fi. Well, I wonder, I've always wondered that because, you know, financially, they, I think they have said in the past, you know, it's difficult for them to compete. And I think one of the things with the BBC is there is an expectation of, of there to be that quality. So they're not, they seem to be more um, reluctant, I think, to take on a project, and, which is a bit more risky. So I would say that it seems like there's definitely a financial um, sort of barrier to what they're making. I think that's a really good point about how expensive shows are. I mean, we have things like Black Mirror and Inside Number Nine flirts with the fantastical as well. But actually, something that's really space set and um, and full on science fiction with lasers and and robots is expensive. And if you look at one of the the best things on the um, box at the moment is um, the Expanse, but that requires Jeff Bezos money to make it happen. I mean, so then you kind of think, well, yeah, maybe, maybe the, you know, the, the simple as the fact that BBC just just can't spend money on those effects. Does it matter? Uh, I mean, obviously we're not short of quality science fiction, fantasy TV. Do we need to have a British version? Is there something that a, a British show brings that we don't get from elsewhere? Or should, is it just something that we should think of that, used to happen doesn't happen so much now a lot of these shows actually have um an extended life in things like audio dramas i mean we are very specifically talking about that kind of primetime tv right. here but actually right. things like blake seven and doctor who and the, all the various companions and uh spin-offs torchwood um classic show space 1999 do actually have uh audio dramas associated with them big finish are kind of firing the flag for a lot of this this british space stuff so if you're if you're talking about primetime tv then yeah maybe there's a little bit of retreat there but actually where the money doesn't hold you back where you're not so worried about the visuals actually there there is a, a you know a burgeoning thing that the target novels for doctor who have just come back so uh you know in a, in a transmedia sense there's actually plenty going on it's just it's just there on screen i think it's an odd thing and it's not a jingoistic thing at all but i find myself watching doctor who because it is kind of the flagship british show and often thinking i want this to be better because it is the flagship british show <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. And when it isn't, it's kind of a little bit disappointing because, you know, there is so much coming out of America mm. um, and loads of it is great. But you kind of think that Doctor Who kind of has its special, um, I guess it is a Britishness because a lot of heroes in American TV shows do run around with guns yeah. um, and sort things out Absolutely. that way. Things like that, Whereas yeah. the Doctor is all about sort of talking and you know he doesn't have a gun he uses a screwdriver yeah. and, and lots of stuff about doctor who you can come in from outside and you can mock totally but that's the beauty of it you know it, it's it's such a wonderful idea and that's you know why it's been going for nearly 60 years but it, it plays to our british disposition doesn't it we understand 
what he's doing maybe more than somebody running around with guns but as an as an outsider looking in they might be like why doesn't he just shoot them Interestingly, I wonder whether I'm going to feel the same when I finally get around to watching The Watch, you know, because of its Terry Pratchett roots um, as a right. fantastical show. I know that it, the, the my response to the trailer was, um, was was largely negative, but there's been some mixed response to those who have seen the episode so far that, that, it, that it does have some, some, some great qualities. So, you know, and, and again, I'm, I think I might feel like that as well. You know, I feel quite possessive of it because it's Pratchett and, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's from a Brit- kind of British uh, storytelling tradition. Now it's time for Robbie the Robots writing the bit where we get messages from you. We've had a few tweets talking about the podcast. Uh, Dave? Yeah, it's wonderful when we get feedback from uh, our listeners. We've had a few this week. Um, So I'm pleased to say we had a a Twitter exchange with uh, Neil Grayson of the um, uh, Commodore Format fan club. He's based in Dubai, but he's a fan of the the future publishing Commodore Format uh, fan site. He was saying he was collecting the old future publishing magazines, which uh, took him from the game magazines onto SFX, which, of course, we used to work on. He's exploring that world. And he says, because of your podcast, I've gotten into Marvel stuff for the first time at the age of 43. I just want to say cheers for that. At a crazy time for the world, I've totally enjoyed getting lost in that universe. Thank you. So, no, thank you, uh, Neil. I'm glad that um, your uh, your journey into uh, video game magazines of the past took you then into SFX science fiction and Robbie the Robot. Because we talk about Marvel every week, last time we were talking a bit about the Hawkeye TV show and how cool it would be for Deadpool to sort of come together. And actually, it has already happened. Steve Jeffrey pointed out on Twitter that in the comics, the team-up was something that came after Matt Fraction and David Ayer's turn on Hawkeye. And he reckons that it's going to heavily inform the Disney Plus show. So you never know. Okay, everything's happening in the comics. Okay. Mm. Sorry we missed that at the time. Steve from Bath has sent us a couple of bits of feedback on uh, last episode. Uh, episode 14, uh, referring to our summary of Outside the Wire, the Netflix movie. Uh, we name-checked Almost Human, uh, if you remember that TV show, and Steve says, uh, yeah, I like that show. Same, it was dropped, but nobody else watched it. Yeah, I think it was also um, actually quite expensive um, TV show to make. That was the uh, the Carl Urban show. I loved, I loved it too, Steve. And following on from our conversation in the last podcast about franchises taking over the world and whether they're blocking uh, new franchises from coming along. Uh, Sean from Twitter said, uh, I was listening to the latest podcast and the chat about blockbusters versus new ideas is exactly why I insisted on paying to see Looper and Ex Machina at the cinema. If I don't support those kind of films, I can hardly complain when they don't make them anymore. That's exactly the point we were saying, yeah. We want more films like Ex Machina and Looper. I love those films, and absolutely, you know, I was I, this got me into conversation with some uh, family and friends actually about about non franchise movies. Um, Looper and Ex Machina are great examples, but also, of course, Gravity in recent years was uh, was fantastic. And yeah, you've got to support those films; they're they're wonderful. That's part one done and dusted. We'll be back in a sec with part two featuring Rewind. Hello and welcome to Park 2 and it's time to welcome this week's guest all the way from the Radio Times. It's Joanne Rowney. She's also worked for the Daily Mirror, the Press Association and BBC News and she's a massive Disney fan which makes her the ideal guest for this week's Rewind. Hello. Hey, Hi, welcome. welcome. This, thing, this, is like, this is like, this is your life. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> really, I know just my Twitter bio, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what sci-fi have you been enjoying lately? Well, enjoying, I'm going to use this loosely because I keep arguing with my brother about mm-hmm. it, WandaVision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed all the sitcom style stuff because I used to watch like I Love Lucy and Bewitched and all that with my mum. I think maybe my brother's a little bit too young. 
So he keeps going, why is it like this? Why is it like this? <laughs> and I finally, when it changed, he was just like, why didn't they just from the start? And I was like, what? I think we all read the comic it was based on when I was younger. So I kind of knew where it was going first, early doors, um, which is sometimes annoying when you're watching some of the Marvel stuff when they do stick so closely because I'm just like, there's no surprise here. My parents moving house, which does have a link to this, which is I cleared out all my comics from their place. So you know, <laughs> the Death of Superman, the stylized front cover one. Yeah. Uh, I got me that when I was younger because I was obsessed by Superman. Um, so I've been rereading that and going through all the emotions of Lois watching Superman die. Spoiler, obviously the title game. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been reading that. That's amazing. Um, I love that. I love that Death of Superman and also um, the Rise of the Supermen that came afterwards as well. I've got like a like a great big edition over here um, on the shelf behind me of, uh, of that, which is also has some, some great art in it as well. Yeah, that, I, that era of the, um, the kind of style of it and the way Lois looks is probably some of my favourite, I think. But that came after watching Lois and Clark, which actually linked to what we're going to talk about later. Any chance to mention the new Adventures of Superman, I'll get it in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because the new Lois and Clark is coming out soon. Yeah, I have, I have feelings about that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm, still, I'm not over. I'm still burnt by the crisis of Infinite Earths. I'm not forgiven them for the mess that happened. Oh, yeah. um, and I've kind of stopped watching Flash, but I know... Um, a few people that I follow on Twitter started rewatching Arrow from the start again because obviously it's mm. been a year since it, it ended. Yeah, yeah. I was like, mm, don't do that because I like the start of it. I was quite into um, into Arrow now. If there was a bit, I just can't get back into it. I don't know. I, I think I will watch the new Superman though, just because I have to watch everything Superman just to check that box. So I've got a question <laughs> for you then. Which is your um, who's your favourite screen Superman? Ben Kane. <laughs> And it's a really shallow reason, and I'm going to hold my hands up, even though no one can see me. And so it's totally because I fancied him as a child. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, this man is is the perfect Superman. And my mum would be like, are you questioning why you think this? And I was like, we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> no, but I'm with you. He was my like first Superman, right? Like that, he was the Superman that I remember watching, right? On the on BBC yeah. Two, like with us, and also because he had such good chemistry with Lois, with Terry Hatcher, Terry as well. So I think that, yeah, yeah, and it was the right tone um to watch. I think when I was like a young kid slash teenager growing up, so I think it. For me, I'm the same. I'm like, not not that I necessarily fancied him, but just because he, like, I own them. Like, they were mine, though, with Ben Clark. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. And, and, and also because I have nice memories with it because my whole family would watch it, you know, because it was just a nice yeah, sort of, you know, mild um, Saturday kind of romp, wasn't it? I so, really thought you were going to go the mild bad reporter route then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because like me. <laughs> if you want to compare me to Lois, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't oh, think. Lois was literally the reason I became a journalist. I also have no problem ha- holding my hands oh. up for that. That was my first interview when I went to the Press Association and they were like, why do you want to be a reporter? And I had a Superman satchel. And she was like, wow, commitment to the issue. And I even wore that to my first interview when I became a court reporter. Why I ever got jobs is beyond me, but there you go. You said that you look forward to all Superman things. How do you feel about Zack Snyder's Justice League new cut? You just tapped into another argument that is constantly in my family WhatsApp. <laughs> to the point that my mum was like, can't you just take this away from this? I don't care enough. And we put it into our brothers and sisters chat because I have two brothers. Um, we're kind of all split. So um, one of my brothers who actually works in film and stuff um, is really looking forward to it and has been 
constantly banging the drum. I'm like, okay, we get it. My other brother's like, why? <laughs> like, it's done, guys. Move on. Um, I don't know. I kind of fall in the middle. Like, I'd still, I think, the definition of my job, I tend to want to watch everything anyway, just so I can then decide afterwards. I don't know. I think everything went so far the other way with everybody and all the stuff around it and the debates. It's kind of turned me off a little bit. I think what I'm most interested in is the format as opposed to the content because of the way they're choosing to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I am drawn in uh, since they said that they're going to like serialize it a bit more. And I'm wondering how much stuff they must have had to actually make that possible because it's not like they're trying to pitch it like one division, like those really short kind of uh, weekly versions of it. So I don't know. I'm curious. We shall see. I mean, I didn't mind the first movie. It's not the... Um, it's not my favorite in like the new DC ones. So it's better than Batman V Superman. <laughs> that's never, I don't know if that's the scale we should be going down. <laughs> I was, I was go, going more like, like Man of Steel. I didn't mind. Yeah. Um, I, I like, but then it, it kind of loses out in the fact that I've already told you who my favorite Superman is. So it's not, it's not going to fight back against that. Unfortunately, no matter how, how strong Superman is in whatever version. I saw um, someone joking on Twitter that the outcome of uh, Godzilla versus Kong will be that they both work out that their mothers were called Martha, and that will. Uh, <laughs> Which is still that. one of the best memes ever, uh, <laughs> apart from when Ben Affleck uh, has that Hello Darkness theme. That is also one of my favourite. <laughs> Maybe I should thank that side on the whole of that universe actually for most of my meme content because I think that's probably. <laughs> more accurate in terms of what it's given me as opposed to storylines at the moment. <laughs> I should say I actually do like the DC movies. I sound like I'm just scathing, like, uh, criticising them, but that's not the case. Okay, it's time for Rewind. Uh, for me, Wally was a case of love at first sight. I saw clips at my first San Diego Comic-Con in 2007, and the idea that this was R2-D2, the movie, had me at, well, hello. I spent the next year telling the SFX team that this was going to be a bona fide classic to much scepticism, but I wonder if I may have been right. In fact, I would go as far as saying that it is one of the greatest science fiction movies of the 21st century. Am I overstating it? Well, Time Magazine would agree with you, didn't it say, when it did its decade roundup, that it was? Not saying that they are the gospel truth here? That's a Disney reference somewhere in a different film. <laughs> um, but I, I really like um, Wally. I think it's got its heart. It's, it does what Pixar does well, and it does it probably the best against some of the other Pixar movies. I think the fact that you don't have to have any dialogue for, isn't it like 22 minutes before you hear Wally make a sound, and it's like 40 before a human talks, and mm. people constantly neg on about like saying you need to have dialogue you need to have something to propel story and it doesn't have any of that for most of the movie and i would argue the first half of the movie is actually better than the second which is the yeah. whole debate yeah. and yeah. that's when no one's talking about yeah. a cricket a cricket chirping and noises and sound of it a cricket i thought it was a cockroach, oh, cockroach sorry. Time. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. that's me see there you go i'm glad you caught that <laughs> do you know why that's in my head i was gonna say one of the things i think i obsess most on wally which is um the irony of it having no dialogue is the sound. Yeah. So the, the, mm. the music they choose, cause I love old movies, like the whole hello Dolly thing is genius. Um, and all the kind of old star music, but also remember who does the sound for Wally. I was just like the insane amount of sound effects. Like I, when I was rewatching it, um, before this, I was kind of just like going, actually, now I appreciate it more like watching it later because I think I watched it as like a romance slash sci-fi when I first watched it, it was a while ago. Um, when I watched it this time, I was kind of like, 
wait a second, what sound is that? What is that? And the cockroach, why it's in my head about uh, crickets, because I was trying to work out what the chirping was, because it's not actually a cockroach, is it? I was watching something with Ben Burton. He says that the clipping noise is locking handcuffs. That's how he makes the noise. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the chirp Amazing. is a really slow down raccoon noise. <laughs> oh my God. So, hence why there's confusion in my head about the animals. Because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's a raccoon. <laughs> it's a raccoon hybrid. Yeah. I was like, what is this? It's Great a cockroach. Hybrid. There you go. Well, I think it was great that they made Ben Burt a star in this because, you know, he's one of the kind of uncelebrated stars of Star Wars, being the sound guy who created the sound of the lightsabers, TIE fighters, everything. And here he was kind of brought to the fore. And it's like, we're making a robot movie. Let's get Ben Burt to make him make noise. But he didn't actually want to do it at first, did he? I also really enjoy this when someone reluctantly does something and then you're like, you smashed out of the park. I was reading something where he says his wife was like, go on. Because he said, like, I never want to touch a robot again. This is insane. That sounds weird. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm done with robots. Robots and I have parted ways. R2-D2 is enough and everything. And then his wife's like, but this sounds genius. It's really good. And then I think um, they like, went through it all with him and he was just like, oh, you've you drawn me in. I'm suckered. Often with Disney, there was a whole period in like the Disney Renaissance where there was these massive names, and like traditionally they brought in all these like cats, but brought in all these big names. But in this, the, the kind of main figures in it are quite, like completely unknown names that you wouldn't necessarily put them on a billboard or somewhere and go, "Oh, that's so and so." Isn't like Eve was a Pixar employee that was just a placeholder, and then suddenly she's like the main character alongside Wally. Though I keep forgetting Sigourney Weaver is in this movie. I was watching it again, and then I was like, what is the connection with Alien again? Because there's all the, the Easter egg stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Sigourney Weaver is literally the computer is like a Easter egg for a mother computer in Alien, which I'd forgotten until I saw the credits and went, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So there is one, there is a big name, obviously, in Frank Willard, who I love, who is also in Lois and Clark, bringing us full circle to my Superman. It's, in fact, it's interesting that it's an animated movie that does have a live action person in it sort of almost like a you know uh, they're, they're not a, an active they don't have any agency in the story but but you know they're there they're, they're, that's unusual for pixar as well isn't it well, well i thought that was very clever though that they start with real people and and you actually have that shot on the bridge of the ship where you see the evolution of the captains where you know because they've spent their entire lives doing nothing and they've, they've basically swelled and and basically how they get from real people to the kind of animated versions yeah, the atrophy effect is actually terrifying. You know, when they pull out, there's a, a bit where they show how the bone density shrunk. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. it makes me feel queasy every time. It's not like <laughs> yeah. going to happen in my lifetime. I'm like, oh, they're just like massive gelatinous blobs. I'm like a big that, baby. I mean, they were kind of, I think I read somewhere they were supposed to kind of, were meant to be, they were sort of mirroring gels, which were some villainous well is it in a comic or something like villainous well, it's jelly kind of like blubber star right blubber like yeah. jello. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's uh, but it's funny because for me it's almost like you watch the devolution of humans um on some levels through the movie because you obviously like, you start off with the live action with the fred willard and then you see the animated version and by the end it's like the you know like the um wall painting sort of animated humans doing things like growing the seeds right at the end in the credits and also there's that devolution of humans just because of the way that they they are through the movie they just seem to just get worse and worse (laughs) in terms of destroying a planet and then going off and then becoming really useless blobs and then not even wanting to like do anything like they don't even recycle on the ship 
Like they just jump I have so many questions. questions. How yeah, does like, I have a lot of questions. Exactly. Well, for a start, how, how have they how do they not know what dancing is? And I appreciate they made themselves right. for various reasons don't dance anymore, but they have movies, we know that, right? <laughs> they, they, right. Can, they can see But the um uh but that aside is something that's sort of the, the kind of the kind of parable about it. What I quite like about that ship is it's very science fictional, isn't it? You know, with, with beyond this kind of the story of the, the fun robots and things, what we've got there is this sort of accidental generation ship. And that's the, that's a kind of you know that's a that's a real Twilight Zone type type yeah. story. You know that's a, that's a real kind of um, sort of Ray Bradbury type thing. This kind of generation ship or whatever that this, that's kind of happened because they forgot what their origins were or something. Because uh, it is actually quite a hard sci-fi movie in a lot of ways. I mean, it's quite one of the bleakest dystopias you can think of. I mean, obviously we've seen what's happened to the human race, and then you get to planet Earth, and it's basically the best advert against single-use plastics you've ever seen <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's it's absolutely grim it's a real envir- environment and for, actually that's interesting for you know for disney to have a story with such a, a kind of blatant really preachy message is quite interesting and you know i have to say it's one of those things where like when you watch the matrix which i appreciate it's not a disney movie but just by way of comparison when you watch the matrix when they learn what life is like outside the matrix it makes you kind of want to go well just stay in the matrix <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's fine it's fine and it, with this as well you kind of go the earth is such a mess stay on the ship yeah, you know what really? i mean stay, i was stay, the opposite stay. about it really yeah i mean because, i understand the message of hope and the little green shoot but well it was more like as soon as you get on the ship and then they're all just like massive blobs on those little machine things they don't interact with anyone they just go back and forth on those lines and they did um the pair that basically Wally knocks and like bring basically makes them aware of where they are, like Mary and that guy John. Yeah. It's like I kind of was semi fascinated by them because the fact that they're all around that pool and none of them realise there's a pool That's there. The pool. I know, so right. like, whereas at least when <clears throat> Wally's on Earth, he's super aware of everything. He finds little like so much joy yes, in correct. the tiny things. And if if anything, I was reading something where Andrew Stanton's like everybody keeps going on about how he's made this a film that's anti-consumerism. It's got like all this eco message. And he was like hundred percent, not what I was doing, Like that's not what I was doing. And when he gets <laughs> criticized for saying it's so contrary to like Disney and like, you know, the, the parks and some of the things that maybe don't mesh with that message. He's just like, um, no, I was trying to make a commentary about like connecting, you know, yeah. with these things, not disconnecting yourself. Um, and then obviously like the fact that, they get so lazy and reliant on these things. They miss out on all their stuff and the right. wonder and romance around them. Whereas Wally and Eve are like this central, apart from up, because I can never decide if I prefer the romance montage that makes me weep every time at the beginning of that versus even Wally's like pure. He, all he wants to do is hold her hand that whole blooming yeah. time. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> but that that's the thing that I was struck by this time watching it again was just how romantic it is. Mm-hmm. And it truly is. And it's in a really sweet way because if you think about it actually Wally it is is actually kid-like right he doesn't he's never met anyone or or anything that's sentient so uh, it's just this romanticized idea he's got from watching old movies and it's just such a sweet a sweet love story and um so it was really nice to kind of watch it back seeing that part of it and how that progressed without sort of thinking so much on the consumerism side however it's funny when you think that this was way this was before smartphones and this has happened like people walk down the road or sit on a tube and don't look at each other and don't notice each other and don't talk and there's very it's it's a start maybe watching it now 
having seeing that more it's it's more obvious to us because that really that's real life in many ways I know Eve the design of her like we might recognize that but she was um sort of like it was the i one of the iPod designers iPod, right yeah. who looked at it and she does look like an Apple earpod really <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like a ZX Spectrum falling in love with an iPhone <laughs> I know Aww. It's true. It's interesting. That's, that's quite isn't it? I, I'd forgotten. You're right because um, I think it's like Jonathan Ive or something. He created, he designed the, the kind of slickness of the iPod, and now is to blame for every iPhone looking the same for all time. But um, I was like, uh, even her eyes and things like those old toys you just get, you know, the light bright where the yeah. So just like actually, she does look advanced, but it's still quite basic stuff they base it on. Even like the egg kind of egg shape and the slickness of it. Whereas Wally is like the other end of the spectrum where he's all kind of bashed up, falling apart. Um, again, Andrew Stanton said <clears throat> he went to see a baseball game. You know, like they have the binoculars and he was fiddling with them. And then he completely missed the innings because he was like, this is perfect. It's like Wally's eyes. Like if you kept twitching um, it. So his eyebrows and stuff are the binoculars you get at baseball games. His is So Wally's like the other end, like uh, all these bits and pieces that we think of like, you know, not junk, but more more grounded things whereas Eve's like kind of looking forward into the future a little bit it's funny because as soon as I finished watching the movie the first thing I thought is oh I need to exercise I cannot because <laughs> <laughs> it's because again like you know in everyday life there's too many people like that. I mean obesity levels are sky high but I was really like it's so easy to get the massive drink and sit there and watch a movie to and be then fair, a cupcake in a cup sounds awesome really that good the I was like, I'm, like, I'm totally behind that I was like let's get you 10,000 steps but that cupcake in a cup I want to I want to know what flavors I, wanna, I had questions I had more questions about the cupcake in a cup than I did about the ship to be honest so it's like tell me about this how does this get made where's the ingredients I need to know oh, you know it's all just recycled gunk right it's they're basically eating the same stuff they eat in the matrix that's that's what you got that must be it it's not all bleak though is it I mean it's actually got a lot in there that kind of appeals to kids in the kind of traditional Pixar Disney way there's a lot of slapstick um, I mean the robots on the ship are you know, brilliant aren't they I mean <laughs> and they're actually really functional to the story as well I like Mo. That may, I know that's again, but, but I, just like the obsessiveness of cleaning. And I was just like, yeah. I'm seeing a little bit of me in this. <laughs> and just when um, Wally keeps putting his little um, wheel uh, track out and getting the floor dirty and he's just constantly cleaning it. I was just like, this is a trigger for me. <laughs> Stop doing that. <laughs> like a, you're right, um, Tadabi, when you said about the toddler-esque nature of Wally. is like, why is he even doing that? He just pauses before he does it. I'm like, you're actually trying to irritate this robot for no reason. You don't even interact with people normally. And you've, the first skill you've adapted to is pure annoyance of someone else. Well done. It doesn't really have a villain per se. I mean, I, I guess you could say auto, auto the autopilot yeah. is, but he's kind of driven by his programming, isn't he? I mean, it's not that there's a, an antagonist as such. Yeah, weirdly, it's like humans um, created their own problem in the first place. So it's like we're the villain of the piece as opposed to anyone else, if there was to be one. I suppose, um, yeah, he, he, the directive for Auto was set by uh, the president in that like revealing little clip at the end. And it's like he's just doing what he's told to. It's not even, even though they've become more sentient, they are still following orders. Yeah. So you kind of don't feel bad for anyone. I, was, I suppose in one sense, I was more frustrated at the whole human thing where it's like the captain... I know people were divided on the fact of the first half and the second half. And I totally get the point that you could just watch the night, like the kind of nicety of uh, Wally and Eve falling in love and the beginning half. 
And as soon as humans turn up, they kind of ruin things a bit in terms of the, the movie's pace a little bit. And it changes the whole vibe a bit. But at the same time, I was like, well, actually, I kind of get, I kind of get where it's going with it because we've been the bad guy, but we've never been, there's been no humans on show. It's only when he goes on the actual, I'm gonna, I keep calling it the cruise liner, but it's not even yeah, called yeah. that, on the ship, um, that you're like, well, actually, they need to fix their own problem. I suppose it still plays into the message of, you know, you've got to fix what you broke, basically. If you want to go back to Earth, you've got to, you know, stop being lazy, zooming around on these pod things. So we're like our own worst enemy kind of message as opposed to like, you know, Esma and or any other great uh, classic Disney movie. <laughs> she's my favorite. She's one of my faves. That's why she came first into my head. I think it's the first half of the movie that makes it great. I mean, I, I do like the second half, but the first half is where it does stuff that other films aren't doing. You, you know, you, you've yeah. as a film about loneliness, it's absolutely brilliant. And there's, there's just that shot fairly early on where he's in his little cabin and he, he's sort of wrapped himself all up. And he rocks himself to sleep. He just pushes it, the, yeah. the, the rocker. Yeah, yeah. And it's really sad. Yeah. yeah There's lots of little things like that. You know, when he finds things lying around, I mean, he, he's basically like a robo-womble, you know, <laughs> just looking for all this. Stuff. And, you know, and he finds the box with the ring in it and he throws the ring I away. Love that he, yeah. he I love that bit. That stressed me out. I was like, do you know how expensive these things are? Then I realised there's no concept of that anymore. So he's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the, the thing with him, that whole concept of, you know, someone else's trash is someone else's treasure right and I, lo- I love that and he he really embodies that sort of innocent idea of you know finding happiness in small packages <laughs> yeah I, th- I think we all accidentally create human personalities to fit in inanimate objects in a way what a yes is this whole character in it but he kind of even the way he picks up the spork and like can't decide where it goes and all these little things I'm like, yeah. i was like oh my goodness a spork it, it lasted you have like an emotion for this weird plastic bit of cutlery that i complain about now because it's plastic yeah it's like it is it is kind of genius like you're saying like we all do these things i think it just pixar does this thing where it takes that emotion and kind of hones it so much that you're like oh you kind of feel it properly and then again it's it's ironic given that it's a movie made you know so many years ago but in 2008 but again just simple things like holding hands i mean i think all of us are missing stuff like that yeah, it's right. pandemic I was thinking that. I was like, this is covid yeah. uh, 101 let alone 19 and I'm, I'm a bit like dancing what's that you know it's been <laughs> a long time and it's it's crazy that that stanton realized that those simple things were the things that we would connect to you know if you're on your own those little little things mean probably the most and then having those little trinkets that mean something to you even though someone else might not think so is what what was so sweet that's that's very romantic and it's great except he does on at least one occasion pass the corpse of another wally and not feel any kind of empathy about that He's not. He's well, not. He borrows of, body parts from. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I'm just going to cut scene exactly. when he takes this part to make him. And I'm like, right, this is very Frankenstein. What just happened? That, oh, my eye's broken. There's just one waiting here. He's <laughs> like, right, okay, this has just got dark real quick. Exactly. So he's like happily, you know, um, cannibalizing the other robots, and at the same time watching the 50s movie where he's dancing. Like, it's just, it's a very strange. 
somewhere there's a rewritten version of uh, Wally that's clearly put him in the villainous role and we've just all missed it all the way through. (laughs) That was like like the other reset. Yeah, it's like alternate ending. (laughs) They all get back and they start trying to attempt to grow grow pizza trees and there's Wally going, waha, you're back now. And (laughs) Overlord also had it right. Absolutely, yeah. Well, maybe that's why he's so attracted to Eve, because, I mean, she's a bit psycho at the beginning. She's shooting everything. She's actually mental. I was like, talk about a toxic relationship at the start. I know we said it's a romance, but she's shooting him up and he's still coming back for more. (laughs) I was like, dude, run. What are you doing? This is therapy again. Um, I guess he has been alone for a long time, which is probably making it worse in uh, the general sense. Now, I think Pixar spent the last decade making a lot of sequels but i don't think they've ever talked about making a sequel to Wally. <laughs> oh have they yeah more to this dis- they were umming and ahhing there was this whole feature thing on it a while ago it was a long time ago though because it did so well and inevitably the same question comes up where they're like well it did so well surely there'll be a sequel or something and um stanton and a few others were like uh actually you can't with this because the way it finishes i think it would completely ruin the whole he was like what what would you do with it i know also as soon as someone says that they go what would you do and then toy story 4 emerges from the ashes so you know it doesn't really mean anything i think it, i would 100 percent say don't do a sequel to wally because the end credits cover that that when the, when they kind of do the animated version of the drawings where it shows them build rebuilding and recreating that's all you need is like the optimistic end to it i think i'd be quite upset if they tried to show me you know what would it even be it'd be like 2.4 children where wally and eve like had baby robots and i don't know weird <laughs> stuff it'd be boring wouldn't it <laughs> could just following the captain with mr motivator sort of you know getting back <laughs> getting fit or maybe there are maybe there are other ships out there the whole human race billions of people can't be on that one ship maybe there are other ships out there and it follows one of them I kind of was also um, assuming about the ship that it was quite, you know, how um, when the president comes on, he says people stay behind to help. And I was like, okay, there's, there's clearly quite a lot of people left on this planet. Again, going down that dark route. But then, you know, like when Virgin was saying about going to the moon and everybody was, they said that you'd have to pay like extortionate amounts for tickets and all these kind of things. I was like, did they do that with the ship that kind of kept everyone safe? So everybody on it just paid like extortionate amount of money. The rich, to be yeah, the rich left. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, actually, yeah, this yeah. isn't very nice. You've just killed off all the poor people. I imagine the poor people stayed behind to help clean up the planet and then yeah. the robot killed them all. Exactly. <laughs> or, or in the sequel, Wally could meet this cult who live yeah. underground worshipping a nuclear bomb. <laughs> well it was one of the landscape shots um they said they took inspiration from chernobyl and like sophia so it's not so you know it kind of is that route anyway could work yeah. i start i stand corrected you should pitch it to pizza <laughs> <laughs> well they but they're fans of their shorts aren't they like um i wondered if that might be maybe a way they'd go rather than a full-on feature film so a little short set in that universe hmm where they meet the cult. <laughs> well, they're, they're doing the, um, the the popcorn versions with bits and pieces. Maybe they should have done a Wally one, like you said, uh, Richard, with the Mr. Motivator style. Lockdown, lockdown workout with uh, the humans that came back to Earth in Wally. I'd, I mean, I'd watch that too. It would save me money on my hit classes. The, uh, the other thing is, of course, that the um, Wally is clearly in... Uh, the american continent and all the people on the ship are american i wonder whether actually the rest of the earth is fine it's just fine everyone, everyone else is just it's just it's just a glush glorious landscape around the rest of the world everyone's like, Didn't, what happened to america oh they went to space oh it's fine that just carries on 
See, if we had been in, diff- in a different landscape where we still had Trump, I'd probably argue it was the wall around them that kept uh, the whole <laughs> section. But obviously, we're a changed world now, so yeah, yeah. can't make that argument. We're off to work out whether to put our spork in the spoon drawer or the fork drawer. In a sec, we will be back with the news. We have reached the milestone that is part three. Before we crack on with the news, we should probably tell you that our next episode will be swinging onto your podcast provider somewhere in the vicinity of Friday the 19th of February. We're going back to the distant times before the MCU, when the Marvel flag was flown by Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. We're looking back at Spider-Man 2 because, well, it's the best one. Flip! Also, we want some input from you. For our episode at the end of March, we're asking you to suggest a topic for Rewind. Just tweet us at Robbie Sci-Fi with an idea for a movie, TV episode, book, whatever, along with a few reasons for your choice, and we'll pick our favourite. If you want to check back to hear what we've already covered, flick back through the Robbie the Robot's waiting back catalogue. As well as 14 episodes like this one, there are specials on The Mandalorian, Star Trek Discovery, and SFX Magazine. They're all available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's time for the news. Uh, I'm going to start with a bit of sad news. Mira Furlan, who played Delenn in Babylon 5 and was also in Lost, passed away at the age of 65 last week. Um, she was one of the most important characters in Babylon 5 and you know, she'll be missed, won't she? Absolutely. Yeah, very, very sad to um, to see her to go. She's not been well. I saw um, JMS post about it over the uh, weekend, which is where I, I heard about it. And um, uh, that's, that's very sad. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Delenn's pivotal to Babylon 5 of course she was also in Lost which is where um, um, people might remember her from in the last couple of decades uh, but I think this is going to prompt a bit of a Babylon 5 rewatch for me now the wizarding world may be about to be getting bigger Warner Brothers has appointed someone to manage its Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast franchises now Fantastic Beasts hasn't really gone according to plan is this a good thing and what do you think it might mean will there be a TV show as many are speculating this I have uh a full disclosure that after Disney, Harry Potter is also one of my <laughs> big things that I'm always massively invested in. I was surprised because when they first said about it, I was like, okay, a hundred percent, of course they're going to do this. It's like the Snyder thing and, you know, HBO, etc. etc. Why would you not use one of your properties in this way? It has to be a little wild, doesn't it? Because the licensing anyway. So at least there's time for people to accept it. If it was, you know, that they did that fan um, version a while ago, with Snape and everything. And it, everybody lost their minds over it. I kind of would like to see a prequel of stuff instead of constantly trying to do Fantastic Beasts and things that aren't really in the core, like Harry Potter universe. Like I'd see James right. Potter and like Snape and some of the characters that we already like in that way and I'm invested in. I'd quite like that. I just think with Fantastic Beasts, maybe the problem is more plotting forward as opposed to the characters. It lost its way a little bit in the last movie and kind of was getting a bit convoluted and you know retrofitting things yeah yeah it's problem problematic i think the the thing about the harry potter world is you, it's one of those things where you have to separate the 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 creation from the creator so i i, I really enjoy the harry potter movies and, and I'm, I'm quite interested to see what they do i'm less so i don't i don't enjoy fantastic beasts i think we've discussed that on here before but also of course the announcement about more more money for jk rowling has prompted quite a, an outpouring of um uh, of of conflict on, on 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 twitter and you know she's she's been very controversial and and um is in conflict with many of the other people who worked on the on the franchise as well and and um and and so i think there's a there's a lot of people who who don't want to see jk rowling continue to be successful and until she walks back some of her comments on um you know, transgender rights and so on but 
does make sense. You know, you, there many thousands of people work on Harry Potter, and uh, and and um, and you can separate the creation from the creator. I think, and and it's you know, it's a fantastic universe rich for storytelling. So I'm interested to see what they do. I kind of take your point, um, Dave, when you were saying about separating the creator and the creation because yeah i saw like quite a lot on that and people even before this was announced they were kind of going oh i'm never reading harry potter again i'm never going to go to see the show as i said i'm a massive harry potter fan and i'm kind of like if we did this for every single person i know hers is current but if we did this for every single person what the hell would i read and what the hell would i watch there's always something that it's kind of like the johnny depp scenario where i'm never watching johnny depp movie we'll get to a point where there's nothing. This is obviously more complicated, but and even then, you've got the studios, the Wizarding World, and, and that you can visit. There's it's yeah. it's just so expansive now that I'm like it's kind of not her thing anymore. It's kind of gone beyond it, and it's so fan driven. It's kind of become its own life force upon itself. Well, we're on the subject of franchise expansion. Uh, Game of Thrones is getting bigger. Um, we already knew about a prequel series, House of the Dragon, which is set about 300 years before Game of Thrones. But there's going to be more. First of all, it looks like they're working on a prequel that's set about 100 years before Game of Thrones based on the Duncan Egg short stories and also an animated st- series. I'm hoping the animated series is going to be like Lower Decks. <laughs> <laughs> Just an out-and-out comedy. Gross out comedy. <laughs> Isn't that what it needs? <laughs> I mean, that would be a better approach after how Game of Thrones ended. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, what could be better? Again, maybe this is another pitch you should make, uh, Rich. Get in there first. <laughs> Let them know what you think. Is this a world you want to go back to? I mean, obviously, um, Westeros is clearly bigger than what we've seen in Game of Thrones. But are you westeros out? Like, when everybody first got into it and it was absolutely massive, I kind of, I have to hold my hands up and go, I watched the first two seasons and I went, what on earth? is everybody talking about this is like you know incest this week and then it's like something I the net. So like, what the hell am I watching my dad and my brothers like, loved it it was all like gory gory and then I came back to it later and went okay you know in terms of storytelling but then as I got near the end I was just like this is so messy in terms of where it's going I I think revisit again it's the same thing as the Disney remakes revisit something if you're going to give me something new don't just do it because now this is the done thing and we're we have to expand the universe like marvel or whatever there's always like the curse of doing things too much it's just like no one seems to learn for the fun <laughs> you know have a, have a legitimate reason guys don't just give me a whole universe because you feel like you should it's like the lord of the rings amazon series right that's taken ages absolutely and but the thing is you're right sometimes that can work it's like when they did the watchman tv series there was a bit of an outcry at first that oh that story's been done you know what else can you tell you you know you're just trying to cash in on a on a well-known franchise and then they actually told a really good oh, timely fantastic piece of mini series tv and you go oh okay that's right you had a story to tell that's amazing that's what you want isn't it you want someone to go back into a universe because there's something that only that universe can tell right now adam horowitz and edward kitsis who are the creators of once upon a time are back at abc they're making a pilot for a tv show that reinvents t- fairy tales for a new audience wasn't that once upon a time yeah i read the pursuits was like it sounds exactly the same i'm confused <laughs> does it fall in the category again of redo once upon a time i loved at the start and then i kind of the first season of that great and then uh once the kind of reveal in the end was done i was just like right, okay i kind of stuck with it but it wasn't the same but yeah as soon as i read this i was just like uh i feel like this is did they? Do you think they just by accident switched the synopsis and were like, "Oh, sorry, guys, mistake." This is actually once upon a time. This is really what we're doing. 
Fair play to him, though. (laughs) He's audacious. Maybe I'm missing, I'm in the wrong career. I just need to start like jumbling up a synopsis of an old version of something and go, I've got a great idea, and then just get it picked up. (laughs) Missing out on millions of pounds. You guys are coming up with loads of pictures right now. Now, I thought this was going to be one of the rare episodes of the podcast where we weren't going to talk very much about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then they announced that Black Panther director Ryan Coogler is working on a Disney Plus series about Wakanda. This sounds very cool, doesn't it? Very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. And in fact, um, I, I'm excited to go back to Wakanda. I mean, it's a, it's a great that the kind of Afrofuturism vibe is is fantastically just you know, it's very exciting, very aesthetically pleasing, but also Wakanda just was such an exciting place. It can be very science fictional, you know, the, the, that, those stories. Um, it's a part of the, um, the Marvel universe that warrants a little bit more exploration. Uh, of course, sort of a little bit bittersweet um, since the loss of Chadwick Boseman, perhaps, but the, 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 the stories to tell there, I think, and that's, that's quite exciting. Also, it just speaks to what we've said before on the show about how the Marvel universe can just traverse so many different genres and locations and places. You know, it can be a, a kind of a, sort of a Norse fantasy one minute and then it can be a New York street level mystery the next minute and then it can be this kind of science fiction space drama the next and yeah why not more stories in Wakanda I'm up for that yeah I mean I think when we think of Wakanda it's quite it's a very you know it's almost like the best of humanity the way that they sort of marry that um you know futuristic sort of high-tech um world alongside the kind of more traditional sort of values and the and you know you'll see like the tribesmen but they'll be holding like the gadgets and you know and and also the action of it and everything and I think that that's something that people would really look look out for at the moment especially you know because it just it was just such a cool hopeful futuristic fun world to be in. The big question for me though is now are we going to see a shift of power where the TV shows become almost bigger than the movies? It's kind of reflective of general uh, outside. Well, let's take aside the pandemic where there's no movies anyway. Um, before this, I was like Game of Thrones. Uh, that's a perfect example of where TV became so cinematic in itself. I think it's not necessarily that TV becomes bigger than film. I think it's probably that it's more the format. It's, it's like things have transcended being a film or like a TV show now in that it's more the format you do it. It's even like weekly versus binging something is a discussion, isn't it? Mm. Like one division, I like that it's weekly and that I have something yeah. to look forward to. I, I We kind of get back that water cooler moment, mm. um, yeah, which I miss because sometimes you binge it and you're like, oh, I've just binged this. And they're like, I'm not just shush because I'm going to binge it on Saturday. And I'm like, yeah. I just want to talk to someone. Um it started with Mandalorian. So I think I actually like yeah. the idea that we can get back some of these things. And it's more that like granular bit of the TV bit that I want to know now, which is, I don't think, I think I'll watch both in tandem and I don't think it would detract from either or one become bigger than the other necessarily because it's the characters you come for rather than the format. Well, we talk about movies versus TV, um, a load more movies have been put back because of coronavirus. So Ghostbusters Afterlife has gone back later in the year. Bond has gone back later in the year. Uh, Quiet Place 2 has gone back later in the year. Though I have seen the argument making that this might be a sign of optimism that cinemas actually think they might be able to reopen and that they're going to put films in them. Is it a good thing or or are we just going to start seeing them go into 2022? I don't know if making decisions now... um, about what's going to happen, um, what they think 
it will happen sort of at the end of this year or into next year will will be a bit too early essentially at the end of the day and I realize that obviously they have to plan ahead um but for example Morbius they've delayed their release because they don't want it to coincide with Bond but I'm like at the moment as soon as the cinemas reopen they're going to they're going to be chock-a-block with new movies you're going to be contesting with an, a big movie wherever you're placed and likelihood is <laughs> Bond's just going to move again anyway so I don't know why they you know why one movie would move and delay that way because they think that they're going to open so it, it I feel like their logic to it is possibly a little bit off um but if if they're hopeful that it does give me hope that that it can open but I feel like they're doing it maybe because for example um they feel that you know vaccination levels will be up and that kind of thing and I feel personally it's a little bit too early for them to make those huge decisions um for for something that may not happen in a few months I think it varies though doesn't it because as we saw before the cinemas were open but whether people go back to them is a different thing as well and it kind of feels a bit like a weird game of poker where mm. it's not just about it's it's about the government deciding what the rules are it's about people deciding when they want to go back um but it's also about the studios playing off against each other so obviously when they announce like um they all have very different attitudes to streaming versus only cinema and it's kind of like playing their hand and then going, oh, what, what, what are they going to do now? Bond has been so delayed now that they have to do reshoots, right? Because some of the gadgets aren't even like um, state of the art anymore. Yeah, the product placement, yeah. <laughs> this is an unexpected <laughs> consequence of COVID. No one was talking about this, were they? No. And that, so it is, it is, it always makes, I'm interested in those things sometimes because it's just hilarious. Like you don't, they wouldn't think about it necessarily with COVID. Poor, poor Daniel Craig's going to totally forget what he even did in the movie. I think by the time it comes out and he has to do all those interviews, and um, <laughs> then like, I think, yeah, I think the they do a Henry Cavill like mustache situation where he's also aged so much that like <laughs> we're going to have to just be fake. They're going to have to totally Luke Skywalker him, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're like, wait, is that Daniel Craig anymore? He's like, aged twenty four years since this began, or maybe eighty four yeah. actually. But the positive is it makes it much harder for anyone to break his record as the longest serving Bond. Oh yeah, that's so it's true. How I feel like it's cheating. It's <laughs> the un, un, <laughs> unexpected positives from COVID, right? Like this is the consequence of COVID. Um, and then the on dog years, that's how Daniel Craig like leapfrogging. <laughs> There is going to be a Willy Wonka prequel movie. Uh, it's going to be out in 2023. Uh, your response says a lot. And I, had the same response. <laughs> I just enjoyed everybody casting Willy Wonka and all the different people that they were just saying. I can't, it was like my Twitter was full of people mocking up. Also, the speed in which they did it, I was like, have you been waiting for this moment? Like, just like I know who Willy Wonka should be. Here's Timothy Chalamet. And I'm like, wait, what? That's like a minute after it's been announced. Wow. Maybe they're just really speedy on Photoshop. But yeah, I, I, w- I am curious who they think would be Willy Wonka. I suppose actually in the books, you kind of do get prequel already because it explains about... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, there's, you know, there's form in the literature, so to speak. Not, not a lot to go on, though, to be fair. When is that TV ever needed a <laughs> lot to go on? Fair, the, fair point. Shell, the little shell is there, they just run with it. Though, at the same time, the, the thing that makes me think, yeah, this might be all right, is that it's directed by Paul King, um, who did Paddington. Both Paddington movies are fantastic. Yeah. And they straddle that nice um, thing of adult and kids. Like, I, I 
I think they absolutely nailed it. And um, the second one is better than the first flight you got and stuff. I feel like it could go the route of surprising everyone. It sounds laughable when it was first announced. I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, is anyone like, what is the point in this? And I was like, well, it kind of is in the books. And okay, I can kind of see where they're going. James Gunn has said that you don't need to watch Suicide Squad to watch The Suicide Squad. That's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I sort of wish I hadn't watched The Suicide Squad before watching The uh, Suicide Squad. Um, Do you think you can retroactively remove it from your brain? Uh, yeah, um, it does look like a very different um, production, doesn't it? Suicide Squad was a, a weird film. A weird misstep. I mean, Birds of Prey was in its way great. I mean, not a, not not a fantastic film, but, but but better than some of the other DC stuff. I really I enjoyed it. it was in a lot of people's top tens of last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was one of the last films I saw actually before uh, before lockdown came along. Um, I, I um, yeah, I saw that. I saw it in Paris. Weirdly, yeah, it was. Uh, um, um, uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. But but yeah, but you see the behind the film, the scene stuff that that James Gunn's shown. It looks like a you know completely different. Um, uh, vibe to it, right? I think it's um, interesting with the Suicide Squad because ever since um, they said this is the title and they just added the in front of it, I kind of was like, isn't that already tried to rewrite the history where they're like, just pretend Suicide Squad didn't happen yeah, the, because this the, is kind of the yeah. same title, um, just overwrites it. Um, I don't know, a, a lot of the pictures and things that have come out and just James Gunn generally on Twitter when he teases things, it, it's kind of built that momentum already. And also the, when they were talking about the TV series and like linking it, they've really clearly got something in mind for it that re- puts confidence in it. I think it's more of a sign that they've kind of got that conviction around it. And there are rumours that The Matrix for a film that we never thought we'd see, is going to be called The Matrix Resurrections. That's got to be a joke, hasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, it fits the pattern of the previous ones, and it also is resurrecting a franchise. And, uh, you know, w- why not? It's as good a title as any, I suppose. The Matrix 4? <laughs> <laughs> no, because um, they would have that whole discussion about what do you call a film, just add numbers. Maybe we should have just done that from the start with any sequel or three four or something just just go numbers why do we need words we'll add the to the front the, yeah, exactly. the matrix oh wow the, the matrix the matrices, matrices. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i'm actually quite excited about this you know i i think the obviously the first matrix film is the best of the three and, and there are uh, you know and, and and there's some storytelling flaws in the other ones there's some but there's some great visuals in the other ones i think it's a great universe i'm i and i you know I, I'm quite excited. It's been long enough. I'm quite excited to go back to the, the Matrix and see some more stories in that world. I think that'd be quite quite fun. And uh, you know, um, Lana Wachowski's done some some great stuff in in the meantime as well. You know, I, I think that the, um, the the Wachowskis have made some really interesting films. Whether or not you, you like them, you know, I you know, I, I think I think um, Jupiter Ascending is 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 flawed, but actually I quite like it visually and and some of the stuff it tries to do. But also, I'm, I'm a bit of an apologist for Speed Racer as well. You know, I, I, I quite quite like that. Um, so um, I and I but but you know, but but also there's like Sense Eight and stuff like that on TV. I, so I, I'm I'm quite interested to see what 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 the Matrix looks like now, twenty years later. A lot more sweaty raves. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. you know it, it's not everything about <laughs> not everything about the universe is perfect um, <laughs> but there I mean it has to be resurrection because aren't, aren't um, isn't Neo 
dead by the third one so they have yeah to and trinity like, yeah and trinity so they have to be and, and morpheus i think i can't remember the last one that well that, that's the other thing that i was thinking was it's been such a long time since i've seen them that i didn't couldn't truly remember then how it ended so now i'm like okay i have to go back and see but also it's used for a rewatch exactly and and also you know keanu reeves like that was his best role right i think um, oh that's a big claim I thought it was Kaboom in Toy Story 4. What are you talking about? <laughs> Ted Theodore Logan. John Wick. Actually, the guy's a genius. You know, I think I think that um that even the flawed Matrix films, um, the, the second the second and third ones, they sort of have visions in them that are quite interesting. So I think they do interesting things on screen. So even if it's not a great story, I think that we'll all want to go and see it in the cinema um for the stuff that it does, you know? Although I am curious to see whether like Keanu and people can still do like the martial arts crane move leg up in the air still. <laughs> you, know, you, also have CGI, you also have CGI now though. I was thinking that if you <laughs> to see what you can do with new technology. Like CGI his leg halfway up. Yeah, well, you can. So he doesn't need to do half the things anymore. <laughs> Ergo concordantly, that's it for this week. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. That was great. Be with us. Got to use Disney in a sentence at least 54 times. That's my week done. <laughs> what are we here for? Up. What will I do with the rest of my week? <laughs> we'll be back around Friday the 19th of February when we'll be chatting about Spider-Man 2, the first Spider-Man 2. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to Robbie the Robot's Waiting with your podcast provider. Even better, leave us some star ratings or comments. Thanks for listening. We don't normally put a quote at the end. Um, Wally's not a great film for quotes. <laughs> <laughs>